Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. The human experience is exploring the realms of meditation and looking for enlightenment as we speak to my guest, Mr. Raghu Marcus. Raghu, it's a pleasure, sir. Welcome to HXP. Same here. Glad to meet you. So, Raghu, um, why don't you give us some background for the people that might know? You were a program director in Montreal. Tell us what you do. Well, I started off, yes, I did. I started off in radio and I was a program director for a major rock and roll station in Montreal. And I've been basically in media my whole life, all the way till now, where um, I'm the executive director of uh, a foundation called Love, Serve, Remember Foundation, which really represents all of the uh, Ramdas, whoever knows Ramdas out there, who wrote Be Here Now, and, uh, and many of the teachers uh, that are on the spiritual circuit today who were with us in India way back when with Ram Das, and uh, so uh, you know we do a lot of uh, we do books and we do films and we do workshops we do live retreats in Maui we do uh, webinars online courses and then uh, my other hat is with MindPod Network which is a podcast network. Uh, and uh, that includes uh, myself and what I do with Mind Rolling with my partner David Silver and Ram Das and Krishna Das and Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Lama Surya Das and a few others. So, yeah. Yeah, a very, very interesting career that you have over there. I mean, when you, you met Ram Das, how, how did that occur and what was, what was that like? That actually happened when I was... Um, I was in Montreal at that rock and roll station, and uh, one day somebody rang up and said, uh, we would love for you to promote a talk, a lecture that this man Ramdas is giving. And I went, Ramdas? Like, what's that? And they went, Richard Alpert, Tim Leary? And I went, oh, shit, yeah, love those people, because I was all in the psychedelic heyday, right? And, um, so I said, but before I do anything, I really would like to hear something of what he's done before. Now I knew some stuff around Eastern spirituality and so on, you know, that was, it was more or less like going over to the Hare Krishna people's place on Sunday and eating that great food that they had. Uh, it was that level. I did TM, transcendental meditation, stuff like that. So I wasn't completely unaware uh, but I had never heard of Ramdas, and uh, so they sent over a lecture he had done earlier in the le- in the year, and they um, uh, so I put it on in the studio right away, and every word just hit me like a ton of bricks, and it was like everything I had been waiting to hear that there was an opportunity you could be happy in this life, and this life was beyond the cultural norms that uh, we were put in a straitjacket with uh, 
at that time especially. And um, so I put it right on the air. I just said, I'm going to put this lecture on the air right now. I put it on the air. I tell you, the switchboard lit up. People went nuts in Montreal. Who is this? And then I met him. I brought him down to the station. I interviewed him. And, uh, and then I started going to his, uh, his father's farm, those famous uh, couple of years where he was doing these amazing um, satsangs with the whole pile of uh, spiritual hippies. Uh, doing Sufi dance and chanting, and he would give lectures. It was a ball. It was just incredible. Then he said, I'm going back to India. And I said, well, I'm going too. And he said, well, because he was not supposed to say a word about his guru. He was instructed not to. Of course, that's all he talked about because he could not stop himself from sharing, which is the beautiful essence of this man. Anyhow, long and short of it is I made it to India and met Neem Karoli Baba. So what were the what were some of the personal I mean transformations that happened for you that caused you to kind of follow Ramdas to India? I was really unhappy. I was terribly unhappy. Could not believe that what society offered and what religion offered, you know, straight ahead Judaism, Christianity had any promise to be happy and fulfill any you know any of my questions about what, what this life is all about. So it, I, I was really, you know, in my teenage years, pretty disturbed and unhappy. And uh, the only thing that saved me was music. I, I have been and I've worked in music. I had an independent label for 20 years, actually, in Los Angeles, just before I started working with this foundation. And the only thing that saved me was the likes of John Coltrane, who I saw one night in Montreal, I mean, I don't think I was more than 16, 17. And just, uh, it was a transcendent experience, transformational experience, alongside of psychedelics, which were transformational experiences. And that gave me the inkling, of course, that there was something else to our lives beyond our senses, mind, ego. Uh, and I wanted to pursue that. And so when I when Ramdas came along and he elucidated all of that, uh, all of those spiritual truths. And he was so honest about his own pitfalls and so on that everybody could relate with. So I, um, I just said, I got to get me some of that. <laughs> and I went to India. Wow. Wow. I mean, what would you say? How, how do you think Ram Dass's teachings are so different and what connected you to them so much that, I mean, you felt it's raining here that you felt, you know, compelled in this way. I mean, what, what would you say are some of the core messages that Ramdas is presenting? I guess it, what I, I just said one word that was super important, uh, and that's uh, honest, self-honesty. He was so honest with himself about all of his uh, foibles and all of the stuff that was going on in his mind, all the shadows that we like to put down and stuff way down deep and not deal with them and not even, you know, not even uh, allow any awareness whatsoever for any kind of transformation. So that self-honesty was a huge thing um, that immediately touched me. And the other thing that, you know, just comes off and it's a, it's a, it's a shitty word. It's called love. (laughs) 
I mean, he, I remember when I first went, I first met him in the first moment, he just contacted me, you know, eye to eye. And there was just something uh, that I could feel, a, a compassion, a level of empathy, a, um, a caring. And in that moment, there was not anything else going on for him except being in that moment with me. And those things were extraordinarily impressive to me. I had not, even my parents, uh, you know, maybe when I was a baby with my mother or something. But um, this was uh, something that I hadn't really experienced uh, in this way, especially with a stranger, somebody I'd never met. So uh, that, that obviously was key. And, and the other thing was... Um, there was a trust level so that the things he was talking about, I really resonated with. There was something beneath all of it that allowed me to have that kind of trust. And it was only when I got to India and met Neem Karoli Baba, the guru, who we call Maharaji, uh, that I realized where that all was emanating from. So Ramdas was really uh, an incredible uh, ambassador for what we now know is unconditional love. So let's, I mean, let's dig into that. How, how do we find a way through this constant suffering that we are dealing with here? And I mean, how do we, how do we love ourselves? Well, tough stuff for us Westerners to love ourselves and not judge ourselves. I, I would say that, uh, and we talk about this all the time on podcasts that we do with the different teachers I mentioned before, part of MindPod Network, and the very, very, f I mean, it certainly helps. Everybody at some point has some sort of ineffable experience where there's no time and space, you're just completely present relaxed. You're not looking for anything. You're not looking for anything from anybody. And you are, you're just feeling in the moment. Be here now, as Ram Dass coined the word. And so um, at, at that time, so with that experience, then you can say to yourself, okay, I have now a little bit of trust that there is something that I can um, enter into and uh, relate with that is completely diametrically opposite my normal day-to-day -day experience. So that's the first start. That's the first uh, important uh, thing that somebody has to realize. The second thing that everybody has to understand is you have to develop the chops to be able to engender those moments, those ineffable moments, those spacious moments, those moments between the thoughts with by practice. Everybody has to have a daily practice or you just are taken over by your mind. And you gotta start with uh, a one-pointed practice of any sort, I don't care if it's looking at a candle flame or doing a breath meditation, or doing a mantra. I mean, there are many, many different ways. In fact, here's a little commercial. Uh, go to ramdas.org because in July, 
for four weeks, we are going to be uh, putting up a summer meditation course with Ramdas. So that, if for those of you out there listening to the show, that might give you an opportunity well, to step me, into this. Let me bounce in here because, I mean, I I experienced you know a stage. I started meditating very early in my life, uh, right after college, and I felt that same sort of suffering state where I just felt like the world wasn't enough, and I wanted answers. And and now, years later, I, I I still meditate, but it's not the cornerstone of, of my life. It's part of my everyday routine, and I believe in it. But it's as if there's something missing. Any thoughts on that? It's just practice. It doesn't, it's not a, a solution. It's just a method by which you can get some kind of... Uh, uh, some kind of ground from which you are not taken over by your mind. Okay, so it's not the solution to life. What is also necessary is um, as much as one can get with a teacher who is, you know, a righteous teacher who is has some experience. Um, and for instance, and we're, we've been talking about Ramdas, so we might as well continue. Um, he, in his, those lectures and the one that I heard, one of the main things he talked about was, well, there was a couple of them, a, f- a number of them, obviously, but one thing that was really crucial, important, was uh, developing a witness so that you are looking at the day-to-day, the phenomenon that's being created by the mind Either, you know, as things come in, it reacts to stuff, anger, lust, greed, all of it. And, and you get, and you just get run down a tunnel. Uh, you're just, just on a merry-go-round. So what is necessary is, is to develop a way in which you can have a vantage point that we call the witness. And it would be from, not from your mind, but from, uh, that place, that little small place in the middle of our chest, we call soul, spiritual heart, uh, whatever, uh, pure mind, the Buddhists would call it. And, and th- then you start to have a little bit of uh, a, a fulcrum so that you are not so caught up in the vicissitudes that come to us on a daily basis. And you start to see that that suffering, that, I mean, we all experience it, uh, you know, through our lives, it, as the Buddha said, suffering is the first noble truth. Uh, but you start to see that those things can be converted. And by converted, I would say, I would mean that um, you see that these things can contribute to you getting free of, of the shackles of one's mind and emotions and, uh, and that... Uh, uh, as Ramdas calls it, I love suffering, as he says. I love suffering. It brings me closer to God. And that's a big statement. And, and again, the way, but it is a vantage point where you start to see that everything that happens is, is, is fodder for being able to, to transform yourself. Would you say it's necessary to push yourself into these sort of uncomfortable boundaries? Well, no. I don't at all, because you get enough uncomfortable stuff coming to you. You don't need to push yourself anywhere. I'm not quite sure what you mean, though, actually. Well, I just mean that, 
maybe a person can't sit still for more than five minutes or they find their own thoughts so unpleasant that they always have the radio or TV on. So in that sense, kind of meditating would put you into this sort of uncomfortable state. So I'm asking, have you found that pushing yourself through these uncomfortable moments? I mean, you said that earlier, you said that we need the chops for this, right? Yeah. So, I mean, have you found that putting yourself into this sort of uncomfortable space allows you to grow further or see parts of yourself that you couldn't see before. Yeah. I I wouldn't put it putting myself into an uncomfortable space. In my own experience, I just day to day, no matter what, I sit. And uh and it's not a matter of, you know, one day I I don't feel, you know, if I don't feel right, I don't feel good or I feel great. I don't even look at it like that. I just sit just because just as if you were, you know, you're, you're, you're training to, to do, um, you know, an event of any sort, an athletic event. Uh, you just do it because you know that that's what's necessary to be able to accomplish, you know, to, to be, uh, uh, um, able to do what you want to do. And in this case, so if you're only going to do it when you're, when you're, you know, once you realize there's different levels of it, but the initial level is you're just unhappy with your life and you want to change. And you realize that one of the ways that that can happen is through, and it doesn't, you don't have to, I mean, if meditation, uh, I mean, I would say to everybody that um, you'd really, it is necessary to to get one pointed so that you're not at the whim of your mind. I mean, that's absolutely necessary. And, and, and that only happens someone, you know, either you, you realize that this and you've had enough experiences where that makes sense, or you just are so unhappy, as I said before, and you just do it because you know that that will give you the leverage over this being caught and it's not and the reactions to it and the judgments you make about it so you just end up doing it for no other not for any big reasons of becoming enlightened or anything like that but it's an internal investigation that we uh need to do so that we understand our minds and the buddhists of course are very good at this and they talk about this a lot i think you there are people that are uh, maybe don't spend a lot, you know, they don't spend time in that respect. And uh, chanting, for instance, that's a meditation. So Krishnas, that's his main, um, his main practice. That's what he teaches. And, uh, and if you go to one of his concerts and you're there for two, three hours, you know, after a while, you find, your, you find that you've lost yourself into the moment of the mantra. And it's, it's, it's for some people, it's quite, a lot easier because it's got music behind it. It's got energy behind it of other people you're in common with. And, and you find that that does it for you. And then, you know, you can do that on at home on a, on a daily basis. It does need a daily practice of one sort or another. And it does need, uh, we do need, uh, a teacher. I mean, it helps to have somebody that we can trust that has, trodden the path 
you know, I, I uh, recently changed locations and moved cities, and near one of the cities was a Krishna temple. And reluctantly, I, I would go there. I was, I was reluctant about the whole thing, but I would go there because of the free food. And I, I noticed something in the eyes of all of the, the monks and the people who would go there. And I'd never seen it before. It was this brightness. It was, like, it was like they knew some secret to something. And one of the one of the monks gave me a set of beads, like the mala. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged that I start chanting. And this is something that I would never do. You know, I just I would never do this. But I was suffering so much that I, I was willing to do anything. And so I started chanting. And I, I can't really use words to describe how powerful and mm. how much it changed my life. Because it really did. So, I mean, hearing you talk about it is, is amazing. I think I just said exactly what, what you confirmed. It is, it, chanting is meditation. There is no difference. Absolutely none. In fact, in India, they say because it's the Kali Yuga, uh, you know, the age of destruction, the most efficacious way to transform yourself is through chanting. Chanting Hare Krishna, of course, they say. But any chant. Um, so, ag- again, what is necessary I- in my mind is doing it on a daily basis. A regular practice is super important because it consistently brings you back into that one-pointed place or one-hearted place or identification with who we truly are. So that when we step off the, you know, out of our little corner of a room with our, with our, uh, of our, our altar or whatever we're using, and we go through our daily stuff, there is always that connection to to that place, which is beyond um, the kind of uh, caught upness that we we tend to get during our daily lives. So absolutely, and I'm I uh, and that's very much a big part of what we were given in India by Maharaji was chanting. I mean, he actually he never he would send us to these Buddhist meditation courses, uh, but we, only because we kind of wanted to go. You know, it wasn't, uh, he, of course, he wasn't a teacher. He, he is not a teacher. He never taught us anything. He would just, um, his being was the teaching. And, of course, you, you know, there's a lot of other happenings that you, uh, everybody is sure has read about or, or can read about uh, in Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now or Miracle of Love. Um, so uh, that is very much part of my own personal uh, practice. Absolutely. Every day, I mean, uh, along with uh, a sitting practice, I just find that, um, you know, it's e- it, using a sitting meditative practice is, is, is easy to clear the mind. And I will tell you one other thing um, that's interesting. Uh, Ramdas, I remember him saying, you know, he went off to some uh, Buddhist meditation courses and uh, and he came back and you know he had a, a very he felt a powerful one pointedness that he had gained 
And he said it absolutely helped him to open up that heart place, that place of bhakti, that is the center, is the centerpiece of, of really the tradition we come from, which is bhakti yoga. How, how important, Raghu, would you say is gratitude in, in our lives? I think it's um, essential. It really is essential. I mean, when, you know, you, you talk about stuff like, well, we're doing, let's say we're going to do all this work on ourselves. We meditate, we chant, we, we read uh, books that, that help enlighten us. Um, we, we go hang out with teachers, satsang, community. We do all these things. Why? So that we can become personally emancipated and nothing else? I don't think so. I don't think that's why we were, you know, put on this earth. And um, I, th I think that uh, gratitude, you know, is, uh, is something that is very much in line with uh, being able to give a shit about our human, uh, uh, the humans that we relate with on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and I think we have to have a gratitude that we were given this uh, incarnation, this body, to be able to be of some service. So I think in that sense, uh, gratitude is, you know, is, is very important. Um, and it also helps uh, defeat, shall we say, some of those um, mind spaces that really... Um, create tremendous self-interest, as the Buddhists call it. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think gratitude is, is, is super important and especially related to um, being able to, uh, to, to give something to the people around us. So, Raghur, yeah, it's such a powerful message. Our, our time is a bit short here, but I've got one last question for you. Mm. Um, if you could go back and tell your younger self 20 years 30 years uh one thing what would it be if i could go back and tell i i gotta tell you um i mean when i met neem karoli baba that first day moment and i realized oh you know i had the most overwhelming feeling of being home and I knew that this is something that happened. I've been um, connected to him way before and way in the future. You know, there was no time and space. And I thought, I'm finished. I really had that thought. Okay, that's over. Now it's just a matter of playing out karma. And I have had a lot of karma play out over the decades. Um, I, I just, I mean... I've done some pretty dumb, stupid things in my life. That, but I don't think about going. Oh, gee, if I could go back and have something any different, I I think that it really was all designed perfectly to get me a little bit more wise and a little bit more free of of uh, this glue-like self-cherishing, right? That we do from the morning. The minute we get up in the morning and we start, as Krishnadas calls it, the movie of me, you know, I, me, mine. 
And so uh, it is absolutely necessary for all of whatever happens to somebody in life. And that's what we were talking about before, about suffering. Uh, you, suffering is, uh, is a grace. And it's something to have gratitude for because it's the only way that we get woken up and it's the only way that we have the opportunity to transform our lives. And uh, so looking back, um, you know, on a, on a rational worldly level, there are things that I wish, you know, I could say to myself, I wish I did this, that, or the other, but um, that doesn't last for more than a mind moment. And I, because I firmly know at this point that everything was, is my, whatever actions I took and the karmic results and, and, and all, I was able to, to see it for the good and see it for the way in which it's helping transform my life. Yeah. Wow. Raghu, thank you so much for being here, sir. There's a lot of wisdom in your in your message. Where can people find your website, find your work? Uh, well, I encourage everybody to go to ramdas.org. And, you know, we have so much uh, media and so much information, and so many things going on, like that uh, summer meditation and mindfulness course that starts July 6th. I don't know when this podcast will go up, but uh, people... Uh, certainly you can go there and uh, that's a, a great resource. And then if you all like podcasts, which you must because you're listening to Xavier, <laughs> uh, go to MindPod Network. And the one that I do with my partner, David Silver, is called Mind Rolling. And uh, you just mindpodnetwork.com and, and look up Mind Rolling and uh, every, all the other podcasts that are up there. It's very, very rich resource for all of this kind of stuff that we've been talking about. Perfect. And we will make sure that the links for that are all below. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is The Human Experience. I'm Xavier, and we are going to get out of here.